0: This episode of Firstline is sponsored by TrueLearn. TrueLearn is an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. I decided to partner with TrueLearn because it is the only company I trusted for preparation for Comlex Level 1 and Level 2. Each TrueLearn smart bank practice question has detailed answer explanations and succinct bottom lines to get the big learning takeaway. For my listeners taking the USMLE, TrueLearn also has an amazing USMLE smart bank. If you are in your 3rd year, TrueLearn also offers smart banks for shelf exams and comat shelf exams. Go to truelearn.com and use one of my special discount codes for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a student doctor in my last year of medical school. Firstline brings listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness through an osteopathic lens. Firstline covers tangible ways to improve your health, how to succeed in medical school, and various topics in healthcare, including mental health, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Firstline is hosted by Anchor. Firstline can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Stitcher, Amazon and Audible, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Castro, Player FM, Podbean, TuneIn, Reason, and iHeartRadio. Okay, so now to go into a few of the different types of rotations and specific insight into all of them. So with surgery, you want to know how to scrub in. If you start out the surgery fumbling to get yourself together, then it just sets a tone for the rest of the time. You probably won't be asked to do that much if you kind of fumble with your scrubbing in. So make sure you're paying close attention to if you do any kind of scrub clinic or scrub lab to kind of go through the motions to practice before you are then doing the real thing and holding people back. And also I would say look up on YouTube different videos about people scrubbing in because if you know what it looks like, it makes it a lot easier. Read up on the case the night before to become familiar with the anatomy that you are likely to get pimped on know a little bit about the patient if you can as well. If you do have long hair, make sure it is tied up in a ponytail and make sure to bring extra hair ties with you. Make sure before you walk into the OR that you have the correct shoe covers, that you are preferably wearing shoes that are easily wipeable like Crocs or those washable clogs. Make sure you are wearing the appropriate mask that you need to be wearing, that you have a hair cover, and all of that is ready to go before you even walk in. I'd also say when you are first entering the OR, make sure to write your name on a whiteboard. They usually do have whiteboards when they do instrument counts, so write that you're a med student, and that will make everyone's lives easier. Because a lot of times they have to put everyone that's in the room into the EMR. So it just helps if you already have your name written out for them. Before you even scrub in, I would say just put on some non-sterile, just regular gloves so that you can help get the patient ready, like strapping them in, like helping anesthesia, things like that. Get your supplies in the room as early as you can. Ask the scrub tech if they want you to hand them your supplies. And by supplies, I mean your gloves and your gown. So they will say if they either want you to put it in a specific spot or they want to be handed it or they want you to hand it to the circulating nurse, something like that. They're gonna have a preference of some sort. So you wanna get your supplies. So the gown and gloves, usually double gloves. Make sure you know if the patient is allergic to latex or not if you are not sure, then it's probably just better to go latex free. And it's also important to know what glove size you are. If you're really not sure what glove size you are, I would say just as a starting point, if you usually wear a size small glove, I would start out with a glove size seven. If small gloves are usually big on you, I would start out with a six. And if you usually wear a medium size gloves, then maybe start out with an eight or a nine. And then if you usually use large side gloves, maybe start out with a 10. An extra large, maybe an 11. So that is just a starting point so you don't look really silly if you usually wear size extra small gloves and you will ask for size 10 gloves. But if you're off by like a half of a size, then it won't make you look as silly. But then you just know, okay, this is really tight. I'm going to go half size up next time. Or while these are really loose, I'm going to go down a half a size. And that just takes a couple tries. People aren't going to judge you if you're like a half size off. I would say it's really important to ask the surgical tech or the circulating nurse if there is anything you can help out with. If you don't know who has what job, you can just ask anyone, and if they don't know, they'll likely ask other people in the room if they need help with anything, and then you can know that you're good to go to just chill or if you do have something that you can help with. The surgical tech is the one that is the first one that will be fully scrubbed. They are the ones that hand the surgeon the different tools that the surgeon needs and stay sterile throughout the whole procedure. And then you have someone that's first assist, which is usually the other person who is fully scrubbed in, and they have more of an active role in helping the surgeon retract tissue or cut sutures, things like that. And then you have the circulating nurse, which is the person who is not scrubbed in and is often the person who will help tie gowns and can get additional materials that are needed and they stay non-sterile so that they can touch things that are not sterile. When you do hand your things to the scrub tech or put it where they want you to, make sure that you do your deep scrub long before the surgeon ever enters the room for the case and then do another quick scrub right before you are planning to actually get your gloves and your gown on. Some surgeons like you to kind of just shadow until they ask you to do something, while other surgeons will want you to take a little bit extra charge that if it looks like they want you to hold something that you just go ahead and grab to hold for it. If you are completely scrubbed in, then you're not going to break sterile field if you just go to grab something. So if they're trying to retract tissue and you can see that they're holding multiple things in the same hand, something like that, you can just go to grab it. They might say, no, I got it or something like that, but it might show initiative. A lot of surgeons will just tell you like, grab this. So it's going to depend on the surgeon whether they want you to take that initiative or not. If you do the same surgeries with the same surgeon, you'll know what your job is for them and you can just go ahead and do that job. An easy thing is if you see that your surgeon is suturing to just grab a pair of scissors and just be ready to help with whatever they tell you to. And I would say try to think of one question to ask during the surgery. Probably don't ask an anatomy question, something that you can look up easily. If you notice some differences between what you've read up about surgical techniques and what you see the surgeon actually doing, you can ask like, oh, why do you choose to do it this way versus the way that I read about. Something intelligent like that. And that just shows that you're, again, engaged and interested. Even if you know how to suture and you're comfortable suturing, if the surgeon offers to show you first, then let them do that because they might expect you to do it a certain way. It's always a better learning experience and then you can rock the suture and they might even think that it's your first try. If they say, have you ever sutured before, make sure that you're honest. If you said, I've been practicing, but I've never done it on a real person, then that's very honest and they'll probably let you try it anyway. But you do want to make sure that you do get a suture kit so you can at least say that you have been practicing, then it increases your likelihood of being offered to do that. And just know that the right way of suturing or doing anything in surgery is the way that the surgeon you're working with does it so whatever they do is the correct way don't correct them on anything and thank them for every time that they show you something so at the start of your surgery rotation if you are trying to get ahead and you want to impress well at least at my school our surgery rotation we were always paired with a general surgeon And I think that is pretty consistent that they wouldn't pair you up with a specialist surgeon because then you're not seeing the bread and butter of general surgery that mostly appears on your surgery comment or shelf. So assuming that you're with a general surgeon, knowing what general surgeons cover is important because you're going to be able to read up on cases that are going to be relevant. So general surgery is typically they are doing GI related surgeries. So you definitely want to read up on GI anatomy and GI pathophysiology. You definitely want to know a lot of the conditions that are associated with needing surgery. So inflammatory bowel disease is one of them. Colorectal cancer, know everything about colorectal cancer because that's going to come up. Gallbladder issues are going to be big. You want to know your cholecystitis versus chlodocholithiasis and your cholangitis and all of those. You want to also be able to diagnose them clinically and know what kind of imaging you have to do for all of them to confirm, and you have to also be familiar with the cholecystectomy you'll likely see at least one of those during your month. Hernias are pretty common and so knowing the anatomy especially of hernias is going to be something that you're going to be pimped on and you're going to be questioned on. Knowing those, knowing when to operate, knowing all of the complications like the strangulation and incarcerations is going to be important. Hemorrhoids are going to come up too Most general surgeons do hemorrhoidectomies, knowing when to operate on them, which usually the answer is to not operate on them and to treat conservatively. So, knowing the internal versus external hemorrhoids is going to be important. So, that is just the basics with that of what you should look into. For the pediatric rotation, make sure that you are always washing your hands and washing your stethoscope and your otoscope and your ophthalmoscope between patients. uh, You don't want to get yourself sick or other kids sick. You want to also refresh your memory on rashes before starting the rotation, looking at vaccine schedules, and then briefly looking at milestones as well. You also want to review your infant physical exam and you want to also practice your ENT exam too because you want to do that on most kids. For the by N rotation, you'd want to prepare by reading up on prenatal care, what to do at each appointment, when to do lab draws, when to start checking fundal height, Want to do strep testing, and reading up on some labor and delivery things like pregnancy complications, and how to classify latent and active labor, as well as how to deliver babies and what your role would want to be. I think it's really helpful to work with your preceptor on what your role actually is. Will you be front and center like a lot of times you are and you are delivering the baby and the preceptor is just there to give you pointers and make sure that if you need help they can step in or are you going to watch the first few deliveries and then you know to let them get hands-on and just to observe and not get in their way. Major factor that will determine whether you're going to learn a ton or if it's going to be a rotation that is a little bit more challenging is whether or not your patients are going to allow you in the room for exams. So as a female medical student, I was only denied access to labor and delivery twice. Whereas my male counterparts struggled a lot with women finding out that a med student was male and deciding that they did not want a student. I really think the gender factor is a major player because it is before they met me or my male counterparts. And just knowing if the nurse or the preceptor uses the pronoun he or she, it led to a drastically different response rate. And I've heard that from preceptors too. It's not just this N of one, that female med students just have a better chance of getting more experiences during the rotation because of that comfort factor. What you can do if you are a male medical student is to make sure that you and the preceptor go in ahead of time during labor and delivery. You can't really do this very much in an outpatient setting, but for labor and delivery, go with the preceptor on the first meeting when they introduce themselves and then they can say, hey, this is my med student who's going to be working with me and will be taking part in your delivery. So then when the nurse or whoever before delivery goes in and says, okay, are you okay with the medical student? Well, then they already know you and they know how professional you were and how you presented yourself confidently. And they also know that you will be alongside the preceptor who already introduced themselves, then they are very much more likely to say, yes, I'm okay with the med student being in there. Some of the topics that you'd want to review include the differential for abnormal uterine bleeding. I was pimped on those a ton and was also expected to not only list them all off, but to know how to diagnose each of those. So that's something that's definitely important to know. Since OB is also a surgical specialty, you're going to have to review anatomy just like for surgery. Another thing that I found was pretty high yield was to know the difference between gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, and HELP And the last thing I would say that it helps to read up on if you do have time before the rotation starts is to read about gynecological cancers. So that includes endometrial cancer, breast cancer, cervical cancer, and ovarian cancer. And knowing the treatment for all of those and then knowing screening and diagnosis for all of them is going to be really helpful for you too. For the psychiatry rotation, you want to make sure that you know your psych events and along with common side effects. Know that there is still an objective portion. You're not doing a physical exam like you would in a lot of other rotations, but you are observing them as you do the interview. And based off of that, you write your objective objective section and it's really important to look up a template for this ahead of time so you know what you're looking for and you know what normal would be and then you can easily shift from that template whenever you observe anything during the interview. Another thing I would personally say about psych rotation is that you have to go into it with the right perspective. So you need to know that Psychiatric patients, especially the ones that are in acute distress, those that are acutely psychotic or manic or suicidal, that they are people. They have way more depth to them on the inside than what they are showing you. This could happen to anyone you know, that they could be acutely ill like this. This is not who they are. And they deserve the same care that anyone else would receive. So when you go into an interview with these patients, do not be scared of them. Do not treat them in any different way than you would treat any other patient. Introduce yourself the same way. Introduce your role as medical student, as part of the team, and ask them what brought them in. Ask them their story and be attentive nod, be an active listener, ask follow-up questions, ask all the questions that you would normally ask, and you will likely a lot of times meet resistance, whether that's refusal to answer questions or talking all over the place or changing the topic or going off about delusions and it's your job to listen and then keep asking the questions that you need to ask. There's no stopping the interview short because they're difficult to work with. You need to give them the same level of care that you would give anyone else. Yes, it is a little bit more difficult to have to take a little bit longer to get your answers, but keep being persistent. If they refuse to answer questions, you don't have to repeat questions until they give it to you, but ask all the questions you normally would and do your best to write down a history and physical exam as you see it. If they refuse to answer questions, then include that as part of your write-up. You can even say unable to obtain additional information, but it's important that you give them the benefit of the doubt and let them answer. A lot of times they will surprise you about how much they can open up, especially if they see that you are persistent and are treating them like you would treat anyone else that you you don't treat them as delicate. So that's important to know. And also you're going to see psychiatric patients in all of your rotations and in any specialty that you go into. So it's important to start now with knowing how you're going to interact with this patient population. It's really sad to me that I see preceptors from my other rotations outside of psychiatry with how they treat these patients, like calling them crazy and difficult to work with. And a lot of times preceptors will be like, oh, I'll take this one because they're crazy. And I'll let you see the next patient instead. Even though these patients are probably the best learning experience. So you can advocate and say, I would love to see this patient and, if your preceptor does use words like crazy or they label them as personality disorders that they're not actually diagnosed with, well, you can push back a little bit and say, oh, I didn't see that on their chart. And you can also say, well, you say they're crazy. Why do you think they're crazy? And just kind of reiterating their own words back to them will make them kind of think about it and be like, oh, I should not be calling patients derogatory terms. And I saw that way more than I ever expected to, but I kind of wish that I did confront my preceptors a little bit more, obviously in a professional way, but I wish I didn't just nod along with it a lot of times that I did. So your advocacy for patients can start now as a medical student, but you just have to go about it the right way. And then for internal medicine, what you do to prepare for that rotation is very broad. You can start with an Anki deck that's related to internal medicine, but otherwise your studying is going to be guided with the patients that you are assigned and you can read up on the topics as you go throughout the rotation based off of what your patients are diagnosed with. You definitely want to practice taking good history and you basically have to review everything that you've ever learned, but if you want to focus on some high yield topics that you're probably going to see throughout your month, I would say to review GI bleeds and COPD exacerbation. I had many patients throughout my two months in IM that had COPD exacerbation, so that's going to be a bread and butter thing that you're just gonna have to know Another one is heart failure. A lot of patients have heart failure, and they usually have it on top of other issues too. So heart failure is going to be something that you want to know how to diagnose and treat and monitor for complications. Of course, there's a lot more topics to review for IM, but these are the ones I would prioritize. The last one I would say is acute kidney injury. Many patients will have that on top of other things. So for your family medicine rotation, well, my school had basically two months of family medicine, one was regular family medicine and one was underserved medicine, which for me, it was just doing family medicine in a more rural setting. What I would recommend for those rotations, so those outpatient primary care rotations, I would say you really have to practice doing a good abbreviated physical exam. You also want to know screening guidelines based off of a patient's age. Then I would say what I wish I really knew before starting one of these rotations was what to ask patients when they're just coming in for a three-month follow-up. And this was something that I was probably most clueless about because the first two years of preclinical education, we were taught that someone has a chief complaint and we can ask our OPQRST, we can ask when did it start, has it gotten better, has it gotten worse? what's the pain from zero to 10? We can ask all these questions, but when someone comes in and it's literally just because the appointment was scheduled three months out and they're just following up on their diabetes and their A1C hasn't budged a bit, well, what are you going to do with this patient? That was something that I was most clueless about. Um, So you want to know all of the things that you should do at a Diabetes follow up because um, there's going to be a list of them. You're monitoring for complications of diabetes and you're talking them about their compliance and they're checking their blood sugar levels and how they're supplementing their medication with diet and exercise, which they all should be doing. So you'll really have to look up what all of those things are because you are going to see many patients that are just coming in for follow-ups for chronic conditions, because that's a lot of what primary care is. Some of those patients were my favorite patients to talk to because it really did take a lot of motivational interviewing and goal setting and figuring out what was blocking them from meeting their goals as far as their health goes. So really take that seriously And this is like one of the ways that you can actually make a difference as a medical student is taking the time to spend with these people that are trying to manage their chronic conditions. So diabetes is a big one, but another one that you definitely want to know how to do a follow-up visit for is hypertension. So hypertension is a big one. You want to ask if they're checking their blood pressure at home if they've been changing their diet. DASH diet is a big thing that you'll probably be tested on. You want to talk to them about smoking cessation and other triggers for for hypertension that they might have in their life. And there's other chronic diseases that uh, patients can have too, but those are definitely the biggest ones. Diabetes and hypertension were the two most common diagnoses that I saw throughout my entire third year of core clerkships, so you definitely want to know how to talk to these patients and what is important to focus on. My school had um, basically an emergency medicine rotation that was remote. It didn't involve any in-person rotation, but if you are taking an emergency medicine or acute care medicine rotation, it's really important to know your EKGs, and know when you're supposed to innovate someone. I think that's most important for that one. Okay, so if you are an osteopathic medical student, you will likely have some kind of OMM curriculum to work on osteopathic manipulative medicine. I'm hoping that most schools are like mine, where we actually have a clinic, a specialty clinic that um, we have Physicians do OMM. So, for that rotation, if you're doing the OMM COMET, start reading the Severus Green Book as soon as possible. You want to go through that entire thing. For that, it's really important to do practice questions too to understand how those questions are asked. That's why it's so important as an osteopathic medical student to have a practice question bank that is specifically for DO students because all of your rotations are going to have an element of OMM review in them if you're using that. If you're using a question bank that is also made for MD students, well, it's not going to have any OMM in it. Then you're missing out on that extra practice questions and extra practice for your exam. You can follow Firstline on Instagram at Firstline Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Firstline Podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode every Monday.